welcome to Real Rap with Reynolds Teacher Talk with your host, C.J. Reynolds. Good evening, everyone. My name is C.J. Reynolds, and this is Teacher Talk Live, a show where myself and other educators come on and try and have some real talk about what it's like to be a teacher and uh and try and help folks in real time with questions that you're having in your classroom to try and tonight make tomorrow a better day in the classroom for you. And so tonight, I am so stoked to have uh, like the teacher hero uh, of mine, Rafe Esquith is on the show with us this evening. Um, if you're watching this live, you can go ahead and leave questions in the uh, comment section on the side there. Or if you're watching this as part of the rebroadcast, feel free to leave a comment or send an email and I'll be sure to get back to every single one of those. And that's that. So right now I'm going to, how do I, I hit him. Uh -huh. Right. Oh, All right. No, wait. That was all. We good. Okay, great. So Rafe, thanks so much for being on. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Um, I'm telling you, this is like, uh, this is like one of those things that we're not so good at, but we just think it brings a lot of value. So we do it and we're figuring it out along the way. So uh, it's, it's, a lot like, it's a lot like teaching CJ. It, 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 <laughs> that's what it felt like today anyway, in, in the classroom. Um, so for the, for the one person on here that doesn't maybe know who you are yet, could you give a little bit of an introduction about yourself? Sure, I'm probably the only person who lives in Los Angeles who was born in Los Angeles. Uh, I was an LA public school kid, went to UCLA. I bleed blue and gold. Um, became a teacher 35 years ago and was really bad at it. When I first started, I had the best of intentions, but like a lot of young teachers, I had no real guidance. And although I loved the education school I went to, almost none of it was applicable to my teaching. I taught for two years in an upper middle class school and I thought I was a real good teacher. I wasn't, anybody could have taught those kids. They all came from two parents and they all spoke English and it was great. Um, and then I got challenged by an inner city principal to come to his school, which was called Hobart Elementary. And I went into shock because it was horrible. Uh, yeah. I mean, 92% uh, of the kids were below the poverty level. Nobody spoke English as a first language and only 32% of the kids even finished high school. So I decided I was gonna make a difference and I basically created my own curriculum and with a lot of hard work and also a lot of luck and enormous support from a huge group of people around me, we created a classroom called the Hobart Shakespeareans and they're legendary for going to colleges, finishing top colleges and doing extraordinary things with their lives. So these days, uh, I finally got into a big fight with my school district and settled a lawsuit with them and now I do it privately on my own, but with the same kids, the same poor kids, my every teacher has their own um, vision. My big thing is to give equal opportunity to children who are poor because they don't have equal opportunity in this country. I'm not a bleeding heart. I just want a level playing field. And anybody who works with poor children knows that playing field is not level. And that's what I try to do every day. So how, I, so before I start taking questions, I have a couple of questions of my own. How did you, how did that principle first, like trick, I don't know if you want to say tricked you into it or, or like, how did they win you? How did he win you over? What was like the, the pitch there to, uh, to get I think that? He, he challenged my manhood, CJ. Um, we had uh, actually, uh, we actually, uh, I was at the school and believe me, I mean, it was a great school. But I mean, every kid had private violin lessons and they all went to Hawaii in the summer. <laughs> and um, if I said, let's read John Steinbeck, they all said, oh, I've got a copy at home. I'll bring it in. Yeah. So we, I'm actually a math guy and we won the Los Angeles City Math Championship. And as we were walking out, this principal came over and said, so you think you're really good, huh? And he said, you're not that good, man. And he said it in a much tougher, profane way. Yeah. And he said, you come to my school and win a math championship, then you're a good teacher. And, you know, it was kind of this male, you know, I was like 25. And it's like, well, you can't yeah. challenge me. But he was right. And it, I got angry when I came to the school because I met kids who were absolutely as smart as the kids I had worked with. But yeah. there was no chance for these kids, given the barriers in their way. And it was, it was, I mean, people ask what fuels me. It's really anger and how unfair things are. I, I hear you. I, I mean, so 
our school is uh, is I'm at an all boys school in West Philadelphia, and uh, I mean all of my students are free and reduced. Well, all of my students are free lunch. Yeah, there's no reduced yeah. lunch. Um, so very probably similar kind of socioeconomic situation. At, at Absolutely. But, um, you know, and I'd say you know one of the reasons I started the channel was that, that you, you just get pissed off because kids are. Um, they're, you know, they have teachers that want to teach, you know, they come to teach like in the hood for two years and then, you know, that's either all they can take or it looks good on their resume, they think, so they split yep. and stick around. Like folks are just not sticking around. And so okay. that, you're right, that kind of anger can fuel you. And that's that's huge. So how, how did you get, how have you gotten away with some of the things you've gotten away with in your school right. in terms of like, Shakespeare plays having right. instruments in your classroom. I mean, so I remember you had like this PBS documentary that was yeah. put out about you that I probably watched a hundred times because uh, I would watch it and try and like break it down. I'm like, how's he doing this stuff? They must be just showing the good parts. Um, so how have, how have you been? Uh, how have you been getting away with all okay. this for so long? Well, first of all, before I say anything about suggestions, I want your audience to know um, you were talking about people that influenced you when you were a young teacher. I won't mention a name, but I, when I was a young teacher, I went to a famous lecture uh, from this famous teacher. And the title of his talk was, there is only one way to teach. And I thought, oh. I thought, really? Gee, I hope I'm right in the way I'm doing it. <laughs> and I was so offended by that. So I really want the audience to know everything I say tonight, they're only suggestions. I don't know everybody's situation. And just because something worked for me doesn't mean it's going to work for you. Sure. Uh, the joke I always tell is if you've ever been in Italy and been in Rome, uh, Italians will tell you the traffic lights are just suggestions. <laughs> no yeah. one follows yeah. them. Yeah. So I just have suggestions, right? So please, if you're listening, don't go crazy and scream at me if you think I'm wrong. Maybe I am wrong, but they're only suggestions. But my basic philosophy is that in the first five years that I was at Hobart, I did everything I was asked to do. I sat still at staff meetings, even when I was screaming in my mind, like, because some idiot would be at the front of the room explaining how we were going to do something. And I'd be thinking, you're crazy. And the people yeah. who were telling me what to do with my kids weren't teachers. They were all like, you know, representatives of book companies and things like that. None of these people had a clue of what a teacher faces. Yeah. But I just nodded my head and said, oh, that sounds wonderful. And my idea was to just quietly, slowly, very slowly follow their curriculum, but add little parts of my own curriculum. Yeah. Uh, the worst thing that ever happened to me, and it believe me, it was, was becoming famous. I did everything in my power to be invisible. You have no idea. Yeah. The problem was the class just exploded in ways that, if anybody ever came to school and you looked at a thousand kids on the playground, even if they were all dispersed, you would find my 30 kids instantly. They glow in the way yeah. they carry themselves. And, you know, it was hard because celebrities started showing up and they were amazing and they were helping. These were not, these were not celebrities looking for a good press clipping. Sure. These were people, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the real mover behind my classroom is the great British actor, Ian McKellen. Yeah, I saw he was in your documentary that they well, had on he, he changed my life because he saw what I was doing with Shakespeare, but I was wrong about so many things. And it was Ian who guided me in how to really reach the kids with Shakespeare. So yes. obviously, when Gandalf is showing up at school, it's hard to fly <laughs> under the radar. Yeah. And, you know, we had a lot of celebrities like that showing up. And that made it difficult. But my suggestion basically is, and this is the hard part that people may not want to, you know, um, do. You mentioned already, I'm real patient. I, we live in a society where we want, you know, people come to my class and say, I want to have this class and I want to have it right now. I want the kids to behave like your kids behave. I want them to buy what your kids buy. But it didn't happen in two years. It didn't happen in five years. It didn't happen in 12 years. Yeah. It was slow and painful. But slowly, we developed that classroom culture that today is unlike anything anybody's ever seen. But it took 35 years. And some people, and I totally understand this, say, you know what? It's not worth it. I want to I have my own life. I want to play golf. I want to you know, raise my children. 
And I have four children and two grandchildren. Yeah, and yeah. there was a lot of sacrifices made on my part. It was difficult. So, you know, you talked about the, the documentary. What they don't show is most of the time I'm really unhappy and in pain behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. I hope that you're, helps you're answer so the question. Unhappy, unhappy. You, you broke, broke up, up just a little bit. bit. Most of the time you're unhappy and, and what? Well, I'm, I was miserable because, first of all, I fail all the time, like all teachers do. One of the reasons I've never let Hollywood make a movie about me, it's not that I don't love teacher movies, but, you know, at the end of the movie, everybody loves the teacher and everybody passes the test and every kid is yeah. a golden drop of sunshine. Well, I've never seen any teacher do that. You know, I have kids that I failed with. I have kids that I did everything I could think of and yeah. I still lost them. And that's painful. And it's hard to get up the next day where the next kid comes along and you think, you know, I want to try, but I've been beaten down so many times. I'm just tired. Yeah. And, and I fail often, CJ. And I think any honest teacher, you know, I'm a, ba I'm a baseball player. So I'm a huge baseball fan. Well, the best hitters in baseball fail 70% of the time. Yeah. And uh, when I have teachers come to me and say, oh, every kid loves me. Every parent loves me. Every day is great. I stop listening because I don't think they're being honest. That's, you know, I, I love that idea, especially so in this kind of YouTube world that's sprung up where there are tons of teachers that are, that are on YouTube and they're kind of just sharing their story. It's really interesting who's willing to share that kind of vulnerable piece and say like, yeah, every week is not the best, right? And so uh, I, my channel is called Real Rap with the Reynolds. It's, it's, a, it's a slang term that my, that my students use to talk about how like, you're being, well, I mean, one of your books is called Real Talk, which is essentially the same thing. It's this idea that you're, uh, you're, you're sharing everything, the good and the bad, and not Absolutely. just trying to look perfect. Because when my, my students will sometimes laugh and they're like, what are you going to do if they make a, a movie out of you around? So I said, first of all, none of you guys can be in it. Everyone's got to look way tougher. You guys are like polite and like, you know, <laughs> I need street credit. I'm teaching West Philadelphia. I can't, you right, know, right. Laugh. You know, he laughed to come out to your, your state. Uh, no, I can't have. <laughs> nice kids on here uh so a couple of questions that are popping up are one uh maria is asking how do you get through those barriers how did you get through those th those failures over and over again okay well again i'm going to say something and maria please feel free to punch me in the nose for telling you this um <laughs> you know i i want to say this very carefully so that you hear me we have to do our best to help every child. But the truth is you're not gonna to get to everybody. You're not. It doesn't mean you shouldn't try to get to everybody. I have a thing that I do where I categorize in my own head kids as three types of children, kid one, kid two, and kid three. Yep. Kid, kid one is the gift from God. You know, he comes to school, hey Rafe, I'm here to learn. My parents like you, I like you. And of course he does well. You know, anybody could teach this kid. A dead body could teach this kid. And yeah. on the other side of the room is kid three who says, I hate school. I hate you. My father has a gun. And if you give me homework, he's going to kill you. I actually had a kid tell me that once. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And most teachers, Maria, spend 95% of their time with kid one or kid three. You spend time with kid one because it's fun. Their hand is up. They get it. Or you spend time with kid three because he's destroying your lessons and ruining your life. I spend 95% of my time with my favorite kids, kid two. They, nobody notices them, but they're capable. And year after year, they get passed from class to class, and no one notices them. So there's an exercise I do every year that you might want to try. After the first day of school, I come home, and I take out a sheet of paper without my roster, and I write down everybody I can remember after day one. Then I take out my roster and see who I forgot. Who did I forget? Those are the kids I say, I'll never forget them again. Because who do you remember, <clears throat> excuse me, after the first day of school? You remember the good kids and the kids really making trouble. My kid twos get so excited that someone pays attention and notices them and talks with them that they start acting like kid one. So what fuels me is I have so many kids who write to me. Rafe, you're the first teacher who believed in me. I'm in college now. I'm doing real well. I'd like you to come to my wedding and no one noticed me, that fuels me. Now, with kid three, here's how I keep going. 
Every day I'm nice to kid three. Every day I have opportunities, but I will not spend more time with kid three than any of the other kids. And that often happens. And there's often a reason why they're kid three. And this is the hard part, Maria. Sometimes they're things I can't control. If his family is absolutely nuts, and we do have some of those families, if this kid has severe problems, it doesn't mean I shouldn't kill myself every day to help him. And I do. But I will not blame myself when he, you know, doesn't succeed. There's a, an expression in China that the teacher opens the door, you enter by yourself. And my job is to make sure that door is wide open for every student. But the reason I can move on, if I've done that door opening, I feel that I've done my job. It must be partly the student's responsibility. Uh, do, I, do I feel sad about kids that didn't walk through the door? I lose sleep over it. But if I'm just depressed all the time, how does that help the next kid who walks into my classroom? It's like being a doctor. Sometimes patients die, even with the best medical care. And I'm sorry if that depresses people, but I've always felt that way about it. So that's how I move on, uh, giving equal opportunity to every kid and not letting any kid, whether they're brilliant or a huge problem, dominate my time. Equal time, not more time. That's real. That is... I think at this point, I've read enough of your stuff that I'm actually, maybe I'm just channeling all of your things. Like everything I say, like you're saying things that I, I hear myself saying all the time. I'm like, I must've just got it from Rafe at some point. But um, because, I, you know, I talk about the kids that fly under the radar all the time, the kids that Absolutely. failed at the end of the year. And when that last report card comes out, you think, oh my gosh, I didn't know that you were doing so bad. Cause you, you sit well and you look up, you know, you, you look the way or the place I'm telling you to, but you just, aren't connecting with whatever the content we're going over. And this year was really has been so special because the school, um, I don't I don't know how I got to be able to do this, but they let me write my own curriculum and handpick my own students. And all the students I picked were all mostly twos and a few yeah. of those number threes. Mm -hmm. And it is it's unbelievable. Like it's magical in there because it's all of these kids who never thought that they were seen before and now right. they're being seen. And I remember uh, Mother Teresa saying something about that too, which is my advice to, you know, struggling teachers all the time is like tomorrow, go in the school, find a kid who thinks that no one sees him and just let him know that you see him. That's Absolutely. it. That, Absolutely. That's your goal for the day. So I love it. Um, this is, this is, is this a long question? She just says they're uh, not questions. They're um, let me see if there's a question in here. Uh, Kimberly wrote a lot and it looks wonderful, but I'm trying to, uh, she said, just tuning in, teaching Shakespeare to my class, uh, made my class come alive. This is exactly the experience I had minus having Ian McKellen visit my students. <laughs> my, my Shakespeare program is in its fifth year and I have a lot of Philadelphia actors visit my classroom. Uh, she said, she echoes that sentiment and she said, how have you, uh, okay, here's the question. Let me back this up a little bit. She said, um, and who is this? Someone told her students a few years ago, fail and fail big, fail miserably, get back up and do it again. I feel this regularly as a teacher and fear burning out. Have you found this balance in your career? How, so how do you fight against that, that okay. kind of burnout? Great, great, great question. Congratulations on your Shakespeare program. That's wonderful. Um, there are two secrets to my not burning out. One of them is I'm married to an extraordinary woman. And uh, Barbara is the brains behind my classroom. I easily could have been one of those teachers who thought, well, if a kid has 95, he's better than a kid with 85 because the test score says so. I could have bought into that whole theme. It's easier, isn't it, CJ? You just look at the test scores and that's who that kid is. And Barbara was the one who slapped me around and said, no, Rafe, you know, you have to build good people. You have to build character and moral development. And when I said, Barbara, that's much harder. She said, well, then your job's harder, Rafe. Yeah. <laughs> that's tough. But when I'm having a bad day, knowing I go home to a woman who I love dearly, I can't burn out. But the other secret that I use that I really encourage teachers to do is to try, and it's not that hard these days, stay in touch with your former students. I have an army of former students. You have no idea. I'll bet. Uh, I mean, for example, if you ever go to the Hobart Shakespearean website, 
I couldn't build a website to save my life. It's one of my former students who now works for Facebook. And he's a very wealthy guy wow. and he does all the work for me. Um, all, much of the legal work for my class and, and getting permission to do things, it's done by former students who are now lawyers. So I have this army. And when I'm feeling down, to have dinner with these guys and, and, and girls and to hear from them in line and get cards from them and to hear about their marriages or their college experiences, it reminds me, okay, you've had a bad day, but one of those kids in front of you is going to be writing you in 10 years. And that does help me from burning out. It reminds me because any teacher out there knows we certainly, society isn't giving you a pat on the back. And oftentimes you don't have administrators giving you a pat on the back or even colleagues sometimes because our system, yeah. and I'm sorry if this hurts people's feelings, it is filled with mediocrity. Uh, we just lost Tom Petty in his song, The Last DJ, where he wisely sang, we celebrate mediocrity. And we won't in my classroom, but it can burn you out being around mediocrity. So I surround myself with former students and my family to keep my level high and to keep me happy. That's my fight with burnout, former students. That's brilliant. I mean, I'm sure, you know, you know, it's funny. I don't hear, I hear more high school teachers talk about connect, keeping up with students. Um, and how has been, is been, is fifth grade been tough to connect? Is that a lot of you on the front end of that? Or did the kids just come back or what does that look like? How do you make it? CJ, like a lot of things, it was an accident. Here's what happened. I failed miserably in my first couple of years because I taught fifth and sixth grade and I thought I did a real good job. God, I was an idiot. Anyway, I was. And the kids went off to middle school, and I heard in gangs, drugs, prostitutes. And I'm like, what? This kid was wonderful. This this sweet kid yeah. is a gang? And I was very, I was just crushed. And again, my brilliant wife said, well, here's what you have to do, Rafe. you got to remember, middle school is tough in the best situations. It's a terrible age. So I started a Saturday program where my former students in grades six, seven, eight, and nine would come back, read literature with me, study Shakespeare, study music, and travel with me to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival every summer. We built a bridge, and where the press always got it wrong, they'd say, oh, it's so wonderful. The kids come back to be with Rafe. No, they don't. They came back to be with each other because when they went off to their various middle schools, being bright kids, being kids that want to do things correctly, they were ostracized. So to, yes. come back to, to come back to Room 56, where being smart is cool, where being a good student and being a kind, civil person, that we celebrate that. That's why they came back. That's why the kids, one of the kids wrote a famous letter called it her safe haven. So that's when I started staying in touch with more of the kids because I started this class, and at first, I thought they'd stick around for a year or so. I couldn't get rid of them. And now I stay in touch. I still, I'm still i teaching kids now in the 11th and 12th grade on Saturdays because they're so disenchanted with their schools. They still feel they learn more from me than they're learning in their regular classrooms. So yeah. there's a joke. I, I speak around the world, and one of the jokes I tell all the time is, I, I go to countries and people treat me like a rock star. It's crazy. And I tell them I'm really not that good. It's just that everything's so bad. I look good. So yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, I, and how easy that could be for folks to just reach out if they did have a connection point with someone. I mean, I have students now that will occasionally just say, can I just come sit in your room for a little bit like that or have graduated from college uh, or they'll come over and have dinner with my wife and my, and my kids. And sure. um, just to kind of be in that world when you're not, when that world's not like, that's not what's normal for you. You know, like eating dinner together is yes. not a normal thing. So to do that with people, it's like, it's a big, it's a big deal. And, and there's something um, else you're doing that's really special there. Your students are seeing you as a person, not just as a teacher, you have a wife, you have a family. My students know my family. And, and the joke in the family is they like me, but they love my wife. And, and, but that's a good thing for kids to know. And they actually treat you with a lot more respect when they see you as a complete human being. Yeah. So let me ask you in terms of that, 
How have you gotten, because I, I don't have a very good answer for this. So I just kind of do it and hope for the best. It's I, I use the old, like, I'd rather ask for forgiveness rather than permission thing. Sure. But um, in a world where we are, my dog is scratching himself and sounds like someone's on my door. But um, <laughs> in a world where we're so afraid to, like, be in a classroom alone with a student, to like, having a student over to your house is, right. like, heard of, like, People get really, really nervous. But I'll tell you, last night, driving home from, I had a meeting at school. We're taking students to Belize this year. And, and we had a parent meeting. And uh, it was 8 o'clock at night in West Philly. I wasn't going to let kids walk to the of train. So we like, piled them all in the car and drove of them down. The did. That's yeah. terrifying for a lot of yeah. teachers. And so well, how, how did you cross that barrier? Well, how did you? Eventually, when the district came after me, that's exactly what they did. They said, oh, my God, you were alone with a kid. You must have wanted to like, do something terrible to them. And I was going, well, who is complaining? And they would say, well, that doesn't matter. I said, well, of course that matters. You know, they, they did this whole witch hunt with me where no kid ever complained about that. What I would tell teachers is your point is very well taken. It's a sad fact, but you've got to cover your ass in this world. If you take a kid home, and I have no problem with that, have a slip from their parent, have a permission slip. Even though it's ridiculous, even though, like you, I mean, I've walked out of school in a bad neighborhood, and I'll see some kids sitting in a parking lot alone, and it's dark. You know, Johnny, where's your mom? I don't know. She didn't show up. I'm not going to leave that kid in a parking lot alone where there are vultures and gangsters hanging all over the place. Of course, yeah. I'm going to give him a ride home. But I, I beg teachers, please be careful, because our society is so crazy that in its correct attempt to want to keep children safe, of course we want to keep children safe, they're going to think the worst of anybody where, you know, if you tell a kid, you know, if you write a postcard from Belize to one of your students, hey, miss you guys, see you soon, love CJ, they're going to yeah. say, why did you write love? Yeah, like, yeah. Well, because I love them. What do you mean you love them? <laughs> you have that kind exactly. of mentality. So be careful. Yeah. That's I got hounded on Twitter lately for saying something along those lines, saying something about like uh, about loving your students, and it there, it started like a like a fight on Twitter. Oh, and I'm yeah. thinking I try to stay away from like I'm just trying to put you know uh, I, DJ? anything I put out online tries to come from a place where like I, there's there's too much negativity, there's too it's much horrible. like oh is it Friday yet kind of a thing, and so. Yeah. Uh, but that even that comment got me. I got I got I got questioned because I bought hungry kids lunch. Yeah. Why are you buying them lunch? I said because they're hungry. <laughs> I mean, there's no ulterior yeah. motive. You take out five bucks and buy them a burger for God's sakes. Yeah. But we do live with a lot of really crazy people, and of course, there's two sad parts to that. One, there are people who do hurt other people. I mean, if you look at the Weinstein scandal right now, I mean. This stuff does go on in our world, and we should be vigilant. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that every time you tell somebody you love them or you take them home, you know, because you don't want to walk home in the dark, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. And we've the pendulum is swinging in a terrible direction. Yeah. Um, so let me ask, when, when you first started uh, kind of, you're in Hobart, you're there for a few years, and you start, like, working your own stuff in, at what point did you start feeling like you were you had something there like like this was a good idea you're glad that your wife kind of pushed you in that direction um what was it that was that started happening around you that kind of let you know that that was it was, there was some magic? it was actually around the time that where you were at i had been teaching about 10 or 12 years i had done a few shakespeare plays and they were okay in its time but looking back they were pretty bad but compared yeah. to everything else that was going on but it was when um, McKellen gave me a very important piece of advice that not only for the Shakespeare play, but for the class in general. He said, stop worrying about costumes. Stop worrying about scenery. It's all about language. I mean, really, what are you trying to teach them? And this is the key moment for me, CJ. I stopped worrying about the test at the end of the year. Okay, I started asking myself, what am I teaching these kids that they will use for the rest of their lives? The best piece of advice I can give our audience tonight is this, and I hope you'll try this. 
If you go up to most kids in school and they're working on their math or they're writing an essay and you ask them, why are you doing this? What will most kids say? They'll say, I don't, I don't know. I had I to. Or, or I had to. My teacher told me to. Yeah. If you ask, I actually train my kids to do this. If you ask a Hobart Shakespearean who's working, why are you doing this? They're going to put down their pencil and they'll look you right in the eye and they'll say, CJ, if I learn this skill, my life will be better. If I learn this skill, my life will be better. Most teachers tell their students, here's what we will do today. Around my 10th year, I figured out every lesson is, here's why we are doing this today. And we are doing it to teach you a skill far beyond today. That's when I figured it out. Now, it didn't mean I was really good yet. It took me another 10 years to figure out how to execute that with every lesson. But whether I'm teaching baseball or we're writing an essay or doing a Shakespeare play, every lesson before we start, the kids and I have a talk. And believe me, the kids do most of the talking. Here's why we're doing this. If you were to ask my kids, why are they doing a Shakespeare play? They wouldn't talk about Shakespeare. They'd say, we're learning about language. If we speak better, we're going to write better. We're going to listen better. We're going to communicate better. And in a million jobs, that's going to make our life better. If we're working on learning how to work as a team, you can't put on a Shakespeare play alone. If you can learn to work with other people, your life is going to be better. So that was the key moment when Ian got me thinking about why, not what, and not worrying about what other people think. Okay. The only thing that matters is what the kids and their parents think. They are the people I serve. That's, that's really, so you just, Made a lot of first-year teachers very sad. I think right there, they're thinking oh, years. What are you kidding me? I, I it's it kind of reminds me of when I was about I don't know my twenties, maybe even my early thirties. I'm, I'm forty now, and I had this idea that by fifty, right, like you have it all figured out. Like I'm, I'm not going to have any more. Like good luck. Any issues. I'll have everything under control, and you're just kind of cruising. You just become you know the most interesting man in the world at that point. No, nope. um, and the closer I get to 50, I'm like, I have to hurry up. It's like no, no, time's here's, counting down here. Here's, so. the bad, here's the bad news. Because you're getting better, you see more, and you want to do yeah. more. So the job actually gets harder, okay? Because, yeah, I mean, if I looked at my class now when I was 25, I think, man, aren't I wonderful? Now I look at my class and go, oh, my God, I'm screwing up in so many ways. I got to fix this. I got to fix that. So it never, I mean, you never get to, you know, we have an expression in my class. Uh, I, for your audience who doesn't know this, I'm obsessed with building musicians, great musicians. My students are really good. And I ask the kids as we're performing and we're training, when are we done? And the kids have to answer, never. There is no end zone. There is no home plate. You are never done. So as a teacher, when are you done, CJ? I'm sorry, never. I, yeah. I'm, sorry, I'm sorry if that depresses people, but I also hope it excites people. Yeah. That the job is never boring because we're always trying to figure out the next step. And that's why I love being a teacher. Yeah. So how I, I love that answer. Um, how did you get your students to buy in? So even if like, so I, I hear you and I, and I tell kids all the time, like, this is exactly why we're learning this today. Here's, here's what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. I'm not giving you anything just because it was like at the end of the story in the textbook. Um, I am lucky enough to be able to pick all of the novels that I read in my literature class every year. Uh, and I teach ninth, ninth and 10th grade literature. So I get to pick whatever I want. And, but it's uh, the buy-in it takes a significant, it takes longer than I ever would like it to do. But typically, right. I, I win for most, for the most part. What is your secret or what was your secret back in, in that 10 to 12 year range? Well, the mistake, How did you get hit the buy-in? Well, let me start with a mistake I made. Okay, I'm sorry I'm talking so much about failure, but I think it's an important topic. Um, the biggest mistake I made early on on the buy-in is I was a hard seller. You should stay after school and do Shakespeare. It's good for you. Believe me, I'm older than you. You need to do this. And if you do that, you'll get kids staying, but they're staying for you. And that's not good teaching. It isn't. It's what in my class when we call the third level of moral development, when you do things to please people. Yeah. Um, uh, if you ask my kids today, believe me, they don't give a crap of pleasing me. <laughs> and that's a good thing. So what I figured out was the soft sell. 
the soft sell. I tell kids, look, if you don't want to, don't, don't do it. It's fine. All I'm doing is offering you. If I offer you a cookie or a glass of milk and you say, no, thank you, it doesn't hurt my feelings. If you don't want to join the Shakespeare play, if you don't want to come to this, it's fine. But here's the deal. If I'm going to get you violin lessons, if I'm going to buy you a violin, which I do, and I buy expensive violins for my students, and I have a top teacher who works for them, then your part of the bargain is you're going to work hard. You're going to work diligently. You're going to practice all the time, and you're going to sacrifice. Now, if you don't want to do that, and here's the point, it's fine. So what happened was, in the early years, very few kids bought in. I mean, the original group of Fulbright experience was five kids. You know, I wow. was talking to kids. I was telling the kids, hey, let's stay after school and learn Shakespeare. And the kids were like, are you effing kidding us? Yeah, yeah. Well, F you. I mean, no way. But what happened was those five kids did really well. And they were having a lot of fun. They were talking about it all the time. And five kids became eight kids. And eight kids became 12 kids. And then there were days literally where if you open the door of my classroom, kids fell out the door because it was so crowded. But it did take a long time. And I, I would suggest in this fast food society, don't forget the basic motto of my classroom is there are no shortcuts. I don't believe in instant success or instant mashed potatoes. You know, lose 20 pounds in, in one week. You know, if you read this book, no, you won't do that. And you don't become a great teacher. In I, I wrote in my last book, no one is a great teacher in their second year. You might be a great second-year teacher, yeah, but you're not a great teacher. And you know, if people want to disagree, that's fine. But the really good teachers around the world that I've seen—I mean, the people where you just go, "Wow, that guy's changing lives." They're always really old pros who are very yeah. patient, very patient, uh, and and willing to let kids make some bad decisions. Sometimes uh, I've had kids not join things. And then they come back a few weeks later, listen, is it too late for me to join this? No, come on in. But then it's their decision. And that's yeah. why the kids who buy in, they're really buying it. It's their decision. It has to be. Yeah. It's, I love that idea. It's this, uh, I, you know, nothing attracts a crowd like a crowd. Um, right. And I think that that's, I think that was a song lyric at some point, but uh, I, I, that's really, that's great. Um, so in terms of, I feel like I'm hitting a theme here, but I'm thinking of a lot of questions that uh, younger teachers ask me all the time. And one of those is, so I have, um, I have this really, my school is special in a way that I kind of get away with a lot. Like I'm not, I don't have anyone breathing down my neck as long as like learning is happening and I'm not sure. sending kids out of the room. It's like, go ahead, do whatever you want. So I have this really great classroom. I'm allowed to build anything that I want in there. And, and I have, and which is like one of my kind of side skills. And, um, you know, but what I'll get a lot from other teachers is like, don't, don't other teachers get mad at what you are kind of doing in your room or what's happening in your room. And I by no means think I'm very good most of the time. In fact, it was particularly difficult. And I came home thinking like, I don't, what, what am I doing? Um, but you know, you'll, you'll have those days where something really special happens. So when, you know, when you have celebrities coming to your class and you're doing full-length Shakespeare productions and your kids are becoming expert musicians, there's got to, I would imagine there's this sense around the school of like, why is he doing so much, right? My kids say, you, you do too much. You're, you're so extra, my students would say. How did you kind of get over that when you were like a younger teacher? Because I feel like you get older and you just kind of care less. Uh, but how did you... Get yourself on that path. I didn't. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts to be resented when you know your motives are nothing but good. It hurts. And every good teacher I've talked to faces that. I mean, it's just a fact. Um, there's a great teacher I talked to who once told me, Rafe, let me tell you something, man. When what you are reminds others what they are not, hostility wow. results. And it's a fact. People resent excellence. And by the way, it happens to kids too. When kids are really good at something, you know, we're the society that calls people nerds and geeks. Instead of celebrating somebody who's brilliant, we make fun of them, which is a terrible thing. How did I deal with it? Uh, I never showed it in school. My feeling was kill them with kindness. 
if someone was mean to me, I was super nice to them because I have to be a role model for my students. You know, it's kind of like the Michelle Obama, when they go low, we go high comment. Yeah. I think that's good advice because that I can control. So I was always nice to some people who were incredibly vicious to me. Not a lot, but there were a few teachers at Hobart that were just really, and the joke I tell all teachers, and by the way, CJ, I hear this question all over the world. It's not an American thing. You know, I tell young teachers, there was a first year teacher online just now asking me a question. And she asked, what's a tip for a first year teacher? Here's my tip for you. There is a group of teachers in your school, and I will describe them to you. They hate teaching. They hate their students. They hate the principal. And by the way, behind their backs, they hate each other. And they're not happy being miserable by themselves. They usually hang out in the parking lot. And they take good young teachers like you and try to invite you into their little circle of misery. I am begging you, stay away from these people. For a first-year teacher, you tell your kids, hang out with the right kids. You hang out with the right teachers. You hang out with the teachers who are positive. And you hang out with the teachers that when you've had a bad day, and say, my God, my class was totally nuts. They're out of control. They threw things and you're crying. A good teacher will say, hey, I've been there. And they're not going to make you feel bad about it. They're going to pick you up. Search yes. for those people who pick you up and you will have a better first year. Yeah, I, I agree. That, you know, so it's funny. The, the next question was uh, Maria was asking, what tip would you give for a great first year teacher? Uh, to be a great first-year teacher, not to a great first-year right. teacher. Um, so that's that's it. It's, it's well, surround hang, yourself. Hang, hang out with the right teachers and understand that when you have a bad day, you are not a bad teacher. This is an incredibly tough job. From my point of view, I'm teaching, I'm trying to teach the kids to have honor and dignity when they are surrounded by dishonor and evil. So when I'm telling them, hey, literature is great, and they're in a neighborhood where kids don't even know what a library is. That's a tough sell. And I want to tell the first-year teacher, if you don't mind me sharing something that happened last year that has become a go-to story, um, there's two things I would tell that first-year teacher. The, the most important thing, when you're a first-year teacher, of course you're thinking about yourself. This is my class. It's my lesson. I want things to go this way. The most important word you can remember is empathy. Try to stand in the shoes of your students. What's it like for that kid in your class? Try to find out, did he have a beating the night before? Does his grandfather have cancer? Is there a reason he's not doing his homework? So when I learned to stand in the shoes of my students and realize that the class was about them and not about me, I became a much better teacher. But I want first-year teachers to know that one of your problems is sometimes there are other teachers in the school who are doing a terrible job. And because they're doing a terrible job, their kids, when they come to you, are doing badly. And you're having to patch holes because somebody else didn't do their job. And that's a problem for a good teacher. And uh, since I teach Shakespeare, you can't make this stuff up. I have a ninth grader who just came to me last year. This is a brilliant student. And she said, Rafe, you're not going to believe this. I'm in an honors English class. And the teacher says, we're going to read Romeo and Juliet. So I said, great. And she said, yeah. So she takes out comic books. And I said, what do you mean comic books? And she said, and Angie said to the teacher, what are you doing? And the teacher said, well, we're going to read Romeo and Juliet. And Angie said, well, that's not Romeo and Juliet. I've read Romeo and Juliet, and that's not it. And the teacher said, well, it's sort of like Romeo and Juliet. And Angie said, no, I've read Romeo and Juliet, and that's not sort of like yeah. Romeo and Juliet. And the teacher said, well, the other kids won't understand. And Angie said, then why don't you explain it? That's your job. Angie was suspended from school. Love it. And I she was crying. She said, I was disrespectful. And I said, no. You told the teacher to do their job. You have, you know, we work for you, Angie. <laughs> you don't work for us. Yeah, so yeah. I would tell that first-year teacher, have empathy for your students. Know that you're going to have bad days. Know it. But also know in your second year, you'll have fewer bad days. It does get better. But you tell your students, this is the most important advice I can give you. 
the number one rule of teaching, be the person you want the kids to be. Set the example. You would tell your students who are having a bad day, don't give up. Well, then don't give up. You would tell your students, keep your chin up. Go home, have a good cry, get a good night's sleep, and let's come back for more tomorrow. You have to set that example. I want my kids to be nice, so I got to be the nicest guy they ever met. Even on days when I want to throw them out the window, I still have to be a nice guy. I want my kids to work hard, so I better be the hardest worker they've ever seen. It has to be by example. It can't be by lecture. That's the advice I would give you first year teacher. That's so important. And I, I love that idea of, you know, there's a lot there that you said. And, but that idea of like working, of course, I'm working hard because I want you to learn to work hard as well. And, and that idea of, you know, I tell uh, my students all the time that I think relationships are king, right? So if I can connect with you, I can teach you anything. Um, and some kids, it's a harder sell. And so, you know, several years ago, one of my favorite students now, when he was a freshman, came in wouldn't put his head up, just drew on his notebook every day, didn't do anything. <clears throat> so I gave him detention for a week. His detention was he had to eat lunch with me every single day. And my wife would pack him a lunch with his name written right on the side of it. Uh, and she would write little notes inside, like, hope you have the best day or whatever. And and the whole week was just me listening to him. What kind of video games do you like? What's your house like? What are you like doing after school? And that literally in just a week created such a difference in that student. He is, he's one of the best students. Look what you did. Look what you did. When other teachers would send that kid away, you told him, look, I don't like what you're doing, but I like you. I want to spend time with you. I'm not sending you away. I want to get to know you. I mean, you can't, that's huge. But I wonder, this was a ninth grader. This is a ninth grader. Yes. I wonder if in his entire existence, any adult ever said, Let's have lunch. Yeah. Because, you know, I love it. And I, by the way, lunch is the best time. It's the best time to get to know them. Oh, and, and, yeah, just, yeah. and just like you said, shut up and listen. <laughs> Stop talking. Yeah. You know, today, because I'm on your show, I'm talking a lot. If you saw me in front of a class, I don't say very much. I let them do most of the talking. I just basically kind of drive the bus. Yeah. And which is so important. I think we forget that. You know, this job is only always ever about the kids. It has very, very little to do with us. And that, you know, and even in a happy marriage, you shut up a lot and you just listen to like what the other person is actually saying. You're not just thinking about what you want to say next. And so, yeah, I eat lunch with about 30 students um, twice a day. They come in my room. They're allowed to eat lunch in my room. and, And we just hang out and you listen. And I think... For me, and I mean, this might happen at a younger age also, but most of the guys I deal with are are high school. I just think they're just so unused to someone listening to them and asking what their opinions are. Because I I always laugh when I'm around young people that that are not in my class. uh, Because my go-to question is always, hey, how are you? How's school going this year? And I'm like, that's every old person's question to every kid. How's school going? And never anything else. Like, well, what's your favorite thing? Or what do you like outside of school? Or just anything. One of my students is a fanatic for Real Madrid soccer. Once I learned that, I learned everything I could about Real Madrid. And once I started talking about Real Madrid, this kid will go through a wall for me. Because I met him on his ground. It's exactly right. I learned what he was interested in. It has nothing to do with school. One other tip for teachers, and you don't have to be as crazy as I am, but I didn't know this when I started teaching since you talked about the importance of listening. Why do my students listen so well? It's because they're musicians. I didn't understand the importance of music when I began teaching. I played a little music, but I'm nothing special. But I had a kid, the kid I'm closest with of all the thousands I know, Her name is Joanne. She's now a music college professor in Chicago. She's married with three beautiful kids. Joanne was a prodigy in my class. I've never seen anybody like it. And also humble. She taught me that if I were running the world, every kid would play an hour of music every day because in a world where they said kids can't focus, music is the great focuser. When you play music, you have to listen. You have to listen to everyone. You have to listen to some harmony. And I have students now who play 12 instruments. You know, you were mentioning video games and stuff, and that's fine. My students never watch TV or play video games because all they do is play music all day. 
I mean, yeah. literally hours in it. And they're not because they have to. They're addicted. They can't get enough of it. And it's a, such a wonderful way for them to spend time. So I encourage any teacher out there who's a music teacher, and I'm sure there aren't many anymore, given yeah. the nature of our society, please stay with us. We need music in school. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, and so I want to just shift gears a little bit, and I, I'm really interested in what's, um, what's happening now. So you said you're doing kind of, um, is it an after-school program? Is it during school? I have, I have a private enrichment program, which is after-school and on Saturdays. So after-schools, kids from various ages come to my classroom, and we have music lessons and literature lessons. And the music lessons, I have 11 music teachers who work with me, but my music teachers are really good. And I'm sorry to offend anybody. Most music teachers in the school, I know they're good people, but I'm talking about professional people. Uh, for example, my piano teacher is the pianist for the Los Angeles Philharmonic. That's pretty good, I hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Every, every, every music teacher who works with me is like sometimes they can't come because they're playing all over the world. They're, they're the kind of people that rich kids pay $500 for a half hour lesson, but they will do anything for my students because they work so hard. So yeah, I develop really good musicians after school and help them with their literature. And then Saturday, which is where the kids were with me for 12 hours, we have a group of 40 students from ages uh, sixth grade all the way to 12th grade who not only prepare for the SAT and do higher mathematics, we spend an hour and a half reading literature together. That's the biggest thing about me. We actually read together. And then That's we put huge. on a full-blown Shakespeare production. And when I say full-blown, for example, if any of your folks have ever um, seen the television show The Voice, uh, mm -hmm. well, the person who's won the Emmy Award, the lighting designer for The Voice, he does all our stage work in lighting. That's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. The team of people around me are really good. So yeah. my students, like the Royal Shakespeare Company came from England last year to watch a show. And they were like, Jesus, these kids are more professional than we are. And the best part is they don't even want to be Shakespearean actors. They just have so much fun with language and being together. And then we have a professional choreographer. So we do have choreography all through the play. We have incredible dance sequences. And it's a lot of fun. And the lesson for your teachers is not that you have to do Shakespeare. I like Shakespeare. He's somebody I like. Rock and roll is something I like. So it's fun for me to put it in my classroom. What do you like to do? Because the schools are so busy force-feeding curriculum through you, you stop being you. You mentioned that a big thing about you is you like to build things. So you've made that a part of your classroom. You know, I think if you're a gardener, I think you should be gardening with your kids. Even if it's not part of the official curriculum, try and squeeze it in there and you'll be a happier teacher. What do you like to do? And so what do you, so I, I love that idea. And, and um, I'm telling you, the more you talk, the more I just think, I probably just already heard this from Rafe. That's why I do this. And so I do a lot of that after school. And the questions I get are like in these schools where let's say there's 20 first grade teachers and every teacher on February 10th at 2.01 PM is doing the exact same thing. Page 27 in the blue book. Yeah. Yeah, and if you get through it and some kids don't pick up what you were putting down that day, then guess what? The train's still moving. Like, you better hurry up and get it together. How how would you um, – I don't know. What's, what's a piece of advice you would give for folks that are that are on that kind of a time crunch um, and everything's that scripted? We're, you're essentially a robot in the classroom. Yeah, you are. Um, how do you fit that in? Okay. If you're in your first five years of teaching, I think you be the robot. Okay. And like you did and like I did, you establish yourself as somebody who's really good. Your kids behave really well. They're nicer. You can spot it at an assembly on the yard. And slowly, those powers that be kind of take their eyes off you a little bit because they want to hassle some other first-year teacher. Yeah. And you can slowly start to put in your own rebellion. And what I always told people is it's not that I replaced the curriculum although I did, but I would say to people, I would never replace her. I'd simply supplement the curriculum. So for example, I have never read Basil Readers in my life. Since I love teaching literature, we only do literature in my classroom. And my joke is we took all the books that have been banned 
and we read them because they're all the best books you see. So, well, in good condition also. They're just sitting in, in the book closet somewhere. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, what I do is I would tell people when they say, are you doing the basal readers? Of course I am. And we'd have them out on our desks and everything. And then, you know, when the, when the, uh, the Gestapo would leave, you know, we would take our Catcher in the Rye or, or, you know, Huckleberry Finn or whatever reading, and we would read that book. And I told you, the only thing that was bad was that I became famous. I would have been very happy flying under the radar for 35 years. Um, yeah. The problem with being famous, it's a funny thing, and I'll share with you. I've never shared this with anybody, but Fantastic. You, seem like a, you seem like a kindred spirit. If, you won't, if you're really good and you fly under the radar and you don't share, people say, oh, who does he think he is? He doesn't care about other people. But then if you try to share, they say, who does he think he is? He's telling us what to do. So you yeah. can't win. You can't win being famous. All yeah. you can do is the best you can be, and you try to share with people. And I hope everybody's listening when I say they're only suggestions. Everybody's different. I just hope yeah, your yeah. teachers remember to have fun. It's supposed to be fun. And it isn't always fun. But, you know, laugh with your kids. I was in the classroom recently with, with rules on the wall. And one of the rules was no laughing. I thought in a classroom, that's yeah. all we do. Yeah. You know, it's that, that kind of mindset. I mean, I talk about that a lot and I, and that comes easy for me, I think, cause I'm just kind of naturally a jackass. And uh, so I love doing stuff like uh, I will tell kids they're not allowed to laugh in the hallway. If someone's laughing, what are you doing? This is a place of learning. I'm not laughing in the hallways or I will, uh, today I spent my afternoon shooting kids with water pistols when they weren't looking, right? And the, and, and the idea, and then they're looking around like, what is the ceiling leaking? But the, and the idea there is not just to like, just have fun, but I feel like I'm trying to break out, break you out of your cycle, right? Break you out of like this regular reality that you walk through every single day. And so if you're blowing bubbles in the hallway, that's going to snap kids out of that. And it makes it, you know, for a moment, this is not what you expected when you were walking down the hallway is bubbles. And, and it's funny because high school kids often get very aggravated by bubbles at first. Cause they just, you know, it's a kid thing and we're like 15 and we're cool. And yeah, we're too cool for this, right? really funny. They'll like try and pop them angrily. And then that leads to like, they look like little kittens cause they just keep trying to pop them. <laughs> and then they think it's hilarious and they're telling me to do it again. And before I know it, you know, there's a commotion in the hallway. I got to dip back into my room. But right. that sense of like just doing fun stuff and laughing with your students just because like because you're with them more than you're probably with your own family a lot of times. And so yeah. that's that's and, huge. And, and don't forget, they're with you a lot more than with their own family. 100 percent. I mean, I, kids that don't, you know, it's always the kids that didn't want to be in school that day are the kids that never want to leave at the end of the day that are like right. sitting on the couch in my room or hanging out or grading things right. for me. Absolutely. Whatever it is, cleaning up. And that's, that's huge. Um, Rafe, I really, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate this. Um, even if nobody else gets anything out of this, I got a ton and it has been like, uh, this is kind of like a, it's a really big deal for me. You know, I um, that, you know, my kids were in Philadelphia with me last summer. I wish I had known you that we would have visited. That would have been fantastic. Well, you know, I'm planning on coming to Southern California next summer, so that would be oh well. We're gonna that. That's so my brother lives in Ventura in Southern California, so we Easy. come out every so often. Easy. My kids will have their water pistols ready for you, man. And that sounds <laughs> awesome. Um, oh, so oh, what's that? Let me. Can, would you mind if I ask one more question that just popped up from someone? Thank you. So, uh, what are some more examples of how to quote unquote change the curriculum? So uh, that just popped up there on the sure. screen. Um, um, okay. Can what I? What would you say? To that? I, I don't know if Bonnie is able to. Um, I'd like. Is Bonnie able to tell me what she teaches? Like what? Sure. She uh, so go. She can type it right in on the side there. So we'll just uh, wait a second and. Bonnie, go ahead and put that in on the side, and then we'll read what subject or subject. Let me see. It'll take a second. I'm sure she's stunned that uh, that she got asked that. Um, if she's so on, you know, that's I, in terms of if I'm thinking about that. Um, I'm just thinking about a lot of time, and I, I wonder. I wonder if you do this as well, because I hear you talking a lot about like what you're interested in, introducing that, and then also this idea of learning what your students are interested in. And so, um, she said she's not a teacher yet. Okay. Well, Bonnie, what I did 
was I watch every great teacher I can find. Anytime I heard about a great teacher, I would go to watch them, whether they were terrific in literature or mathematics or science, because I always wanted to learn. So let me just give you one example. Even though I was a math major in school, and I'm very good with math, um, just because you're good at something doesn't mean you teach it well. I learned that early on as a teacher. And here's something to think about, Bonnie. When people ask, what do you do for a living? What a teacher really is, you're a professional explainer. There are people who know what you know, but they can't explain it as well as we do. So let me give you an example. I met a brilliant math teacher named Marcy Cook. And she produces these math problems. They're called tile problems. And whether you are a first grader learning how to add or a 10th grader learning how to do sine and cosine, she's got stuff for you. And it was the kind of stuff where, okay, we have our book out and we're doing the problems of the day. But to supplement that, let me show you these five cool problems that are very different than what we're doing. Uh, and they're really interesting. So what I did to supplement, to change, was I took the best ideas I could find from other teachers, like you're doing tonight. You know, you you've obviously know about CJ, who's obviously, you know, in that top echelon of brilliance. And there are great teachers out there. And follow them and get their ideas. Good teachers like to share. I used to have, what you, you're talking about resent, resentment. I had a thousand visitors a year to my classroom. And if you ever looked at the sign-up sheet at Hobart, every person who came there was to come to see room 56. Nobody came to see a principal, it was to see us. And yeah. we, had, we, we literally had tour buses from Australia rolling up in Los Angeles to take pictures. It's so crazy. So find those good teachers, watch them. And by the way, if you don't like what they're doing, then don't use it. But that's what I did. And I still like watching great teachers and still get ideas from them because we're in this together. Yeah. If, I, it's, if, if CJ's kids do well, one of them one day may cure the cancer that I get. I mean, when, when, when CJ's doing well, I'm doing well, we all win. And that's yeah. why shows like this are so important especially these times when everybody just hates each other and Twitter each other to death. Let's be nice to each other yeah. and learn from each other. Yeah. It builds that community that you can then, Absolutely. you know, you can ask questions too. And, and I think that's, it's the most important. I, I think I tell new teachers at our, my school every year, anyone that starts there, that's new. I say, what you need to not do is stay in your room the whole year. Because Absolutely. as a first-year teacher, you can so often just feel bogged down or feel like Absolutely. you're afraid. Go watch as many people as you can, even if it's for 10 or 15 minutes, Absolutely. and you'll learn either something great that you will steal and just make believe that it's yours or something you absolutely never want to do in your classroom ever because it's the worst That's idea. Great advice. So great. either way, you're, le you're learning something uh, of value to you, rather. Um, so thank you, awesome. Rafe. I this is the greatest thing, um, and I will I will not forget when I'm in Ventura next summer. I'll I'll hit you up, and uh, I would love to to sit down and to meet and to thank you personally. Love to do it. Okay, man. We'll talk again. Thank you, guys. Thanks all everybody for listening. All right. You have a good evening. Thank you. Okay. All right. Bye bye. Ladies and gentlemen, that was like one of the highlights of my life right there uh, was getting to sit down with Rafe Esquith. He's someone that, you know, um, to give a little background, I started teaching. And as I was in college, uh, I was just getting I was student teaching and I was reading all any education book that I could find. Nothing resonated with me. And then someone told me about this documentary they saw on PBS about this guy that was teaching Shakespeare to his students in Los Angeles. And he's like, that's the kind of teacher you should be. So I check it out. And immediately, I felt connected to the type of teacher that Rafe was. And I read everything I could read on him. I watched every interview I could watch. I read every article. I read every book that he, I think he only had the one book out at that point. I watched that documentary over and over. I like had to order it from PBS, um, which was like, you know, it, now I think it's available on YouTube. Uh, but so that was, that was such a big deal when I reached out and that's someone who speaks all around the world and has all of this great stuff going on would reach out to me and say, yeah, I'll do your show. Um, so that's amazing. If you have any further questions, if you didn't get to your question, please leave it in the comment section below. I'd be happy to get back to you about it. Or you can send me an email if it's of a more personal nature, 
and I will do my absolute best to get back to that as quickly as possible. Um, next week, we're back on Tuesday night again. Do you have a little pop-up cool thing? No. Um, asking the not-too-secret wife about our graphics. Uh, so we have another show on next Tuesday night. There's a couple of people that are up for that. So I'm not exactly sure who's gonna, who that's going to pan out to be, but we'll be at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And you can also, you will be able to start finding all these um, as podcasts on, on SoundCloud and on iTunes. If you search Real Rap with Reynolds, you can find it on there as well. And that's it. Guys, thanks so much. As all, I'm sorry I always say guys, too. I'm not trying to be exclusive. I teach all boys, and that's just what comes out all the time. So thank you, everyone. I really appreciate everything that you do. I hope you have the best week ever. Peace. And that's it for this week, gang. Look, if you ever want to have your question answered on Sunday Night Teacher Talk, all you have to do is show up at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on my YouTube channel, Real Rap with Reynolds, and I'd be happy to answer any question that you put out there. Nothing is off the table. Thanks so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it. And I hope you have a great week. Peace.